Well, it's been an, a week, hadn't it? I don't even know where to start with what's happening in our world, so I'll just start with what's happening in our church. How's that? How many of you like miracle stories? Like miracle stories? So let me take you back a few years. We have a family in our church, uh, the Merediths. I don't know if they're here today. Uh, John was uh, diagnosed with uh, stage four cancer and told them uh, just to go home and uh, there was what anything they could do. He had six months to live. Father of two little kids and God just worked a miracle. We prayed for him. He had a vision of uh, Jericho, marching around Jericho. And he said, I just had this vision of warriors, these warriors that were battling out the cancer. And so, long story short on that one, because that's, that's the old miracle. I'm going to give you a fresh miracle as of this week. Anyway, so they, they went ahead and, and they checked him out and they said, he said, I'm praying. He went to the doctor and the doctor told him, that. he said, I'm praying that there will be half the number of cells and they will be half the size before I ever start treatment. And the doctor gave, you know, kind of that doctor smile, you know, like, well, good luck with that. And so anyway, he came back in, they test him again before they started treatment, and there were half the number of cells, and they were half the size. And the doctor said, uh, he said, there's something really unusual happening, and he said, you've never heard this term, it's kind of a new term we talk about, but it's, uh, they're actually what's called a warrior cell, and they circle these cancer cells, and he's been given, uh, now for several years, a clean bill of health completely. So whenever you, whenever you hear of the work of God, it inspires you to know that God can work in your life too. And, and that's why we share that. So anyway, he sent me this text uh, this week. He said, we've been blessed with another family miracle. Lauren, that's her daughter, blew out her knee skiing on New Year's Day, and the MRI showed a torn uh, ACL, MCL, and PCL. Uh, which all that, I don't know what that means, but it sounds bad. Uh, she had another doctor's appointment today, and he reviewed a new MRI, and the ACL, MCL are no longer torn, and her PCL has a partial tear, which will not require surgery. Now, here's what happened. Here's what happened. Oh, I forgot to tell you, someone at church had a vision, and they needed to pray for someone named Lauren. He didn't know who Lauren was and came up to pray for her healing three Sundays ago and was amazed she was a Lauren in his vision. See, here's the thing. Church is supernatural. This is not a gathering to sing and hear some nice teaching, you know, to see your friends. It is supernatural. It's a place where we collectively encounter God. And uh, when you encounter God, something happens. This is why the church is the most essential organization on planet Earth. It's why we meet. It's why we, we do what we do. So we had a, a, a family uh, that comes kind of periodically, and they brought their, uh, their daughter to church uh, last week or two weeks ago, and she said to her mommy, because they don't go on a regular basis, she said to her mommy, um, I want to go back to God's world. And they gave me seeds. It was an illustration of faith. I want to go back to God's world. I thought, what a great name. 
God's world. You know, this, uh, this past week, I may have shared this with you last week, but we, we went ahead and uh, finished the conditional use permit with the city we were approved for a preschool here. It's called Influence Academy. And we submitted the state license uh, this week, so we should be able to be open somewhere in May or June, is what our expectations are. In the meantime, uh, we'll get a landing page up for those of you who want to get your kids in preschool, and we'll see where it goes from there, uh, one step at a time. Uh, on your app, we went ahead and added uh, a giving opportunity. If you want to participate and help us with the preschool, you can do that. Um, we just... Uh, we don't have to beg. This is a generous place, and if God moves your heart, God moves your heart. That's the way I look at it. And when everybody's obedient, everybody's happy. Amen? Well, today I thought I would talk about something uh, less controversial for a change. I thought I'd talk about critical race theory and identity politics. Why not jump into it? I, I told somebody, I'm going to do a cannonball. I remember the cannonball when you were a kid. You know, everybody's sitting around getting sun, nice and warm, and then, then the big guy jumps in and splashes everybody. That's kind of how I feel my opening is. It's like a cannonball every week, and we'll just see what happens. What's wrong with critical race and identity politics? I'll go into some detail today uh, to try to kind of sort through what that means because it's, it makes headlines every day. First of all, you need to know that it's rooted in Marxism. And if you don't know what Marxism, you go back and you study a guy named Karl Marx. And he was the one that really came up with the concept, in part, uh, him and Engels, of communism. And the idea of communism is that everybody is going to get the same thing. Nobody is going to be able to own their own stuff. The government will basically tell you what you can have and what you can't have, and it's a two, kind of a two-tier system where you have everybody who's a worker, and then you have the elite who doesn't abide by those rules and lives in great luxury, and that's the essence of communism in a nutshell. Second thing wrong with critical race theory and identity politics is that it divides Americans by placing them in conflict with one another. And that immediately happens. Instead of finding a common ground equal where we all understand that we were created by God in his image, we find other reasons to find something wrong with one another. It also attacks the basics of the Constitution, that is that all men are created equal and they are endowed uh, by certain inalienable rights that are, cannot be taken away by government. That's why we're called citizens uh, a citizen is someone who has ownership, that we uh, technically, though it doesn't appear that way with our representatives, but it is a, the idea that we actually have ownership, that we own and we decide the future of our nation. We do that through representatives and through a republic. We are a constitutional republic. That means that we have a guiding uh, document that uh, is going under uh, a lot of... Um, attack right now, but we have a document that tells us how we're going to operate this republic that we live in. The, the other thing that identity politics does is that it divides Americas into the oppressed and the oppressor. So in any given room, there are those who are oppressed and those who are, who are the oppressors. Uh, the concept is actually good if you just forget it all. 
It's good because it has a spiritual dimension, and it is this, that we are oppressed by an oppressor named Satan. And until we're set free by the blood of the Lamb, we cannot experience freedom, true freedom, under God and among mankind. And so what happens is, when you take God out of a picture, which communism, socialism does, you have, to, you have to somehow shift where you have some religious or spiritual dimension that allows you to understand why are people not nice? Why are people mean and greedy and sinful? And why do they act like this? They act like this because all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. That there is not one on planet Earth that is righteous, no, not one, but because of the death of Jesus Christ and his resurrection and the shed blood that we appropriate into our lives, we are now the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus for good works, and we are to let people know that. We are the only, the church is the only hope for planet Earth. That is the church that is functioning and is living out their faith. You may not know this name, but you'll probably relate to it because he, he was really the founder in many ways of the idea uh, of this whole idea of, of oppression and the oppressor. His name was Antonio Gramsci. He was a, an Italian philosopher and economist who uh, really did most of his work from jail in 1930. He was so radical that the dictator uh, Mussolini imprisoned him. Now, if you don't know who Mussolini is, and I realize we're living in a world where, where history is a little bit less on the forefront of our mind, but Mussolini was a dictator who was functioning along with the, the Germans in terms of against America. And Mussolini put him in jail for 20 years. He finally died, uh, Gramsci died at 46, uh, kind of in a, a last-ditch effort. They pulled him out of uh, the worst prison of the worst. He put him in the worst prison of the worst. And uh, he died shortly after that from complications due to his health. But let me tell you a little bit about him. He argued that the focus should not be on economic revolution, as the communists would say, but as much on taking the institutions that shape culture. Does this sound familiar? This is what you're living in right now. Creating a counterculture that subverts and seeks to destroy the established culture. So if you like a lot of what America is, then you are an oppressor, okay? And if you don't like what America has been for the last 200 years, then you are the oppressed. Is that clear enough? Is that simple enough? Critical race theory stresses that racial divisions seize society in terms of minority racial groups oppressed by a white majority. Now, let me just tell you right off the bat that I believe what the Bible says and I believe what our Constitution says, all men are created equal. And I believe that all men and women stand before God in exactly the same way. And if you have any other thought in your mind about race other than that, shame on you. Some of my best friends are people of color, and I'm proud to call them friend, and I never look at them as if 
they were a person of color. We are better than that. Amen? We are better than that. Socialism, Gramsci went on to say, is precisely the religion that, most over, that must overwhelm Christianity. Do you notice what he called socialism? A religion. Socialism will triumph first by capturing the culture via infiltration of schools, universities, churches, and the media by transforming the consciousness of society. Gramsci acknowledged that Western society was deeply religious and the only way to achieve revolution would be to break the faith of the masses of Western voters in Christianity and the moral system derived from Christianity. I don't know how anything could be clearer than that. This is the, the game plan. This is what's been set in motion. This dates back to 1930. You remember what was happening in 1930. The Berlin School was influencing everyone in this area. It gave birth to Nazism. It gave birth to fascism. It gives birth to the culture we're living in today. And unless you stand and I stand, unless you pray and I pray, unless you and I get involved, it will not change. But you'd be surprised what one voice can do. Let me take you into the book of Judges. Judges was the darkest period in the history of the nation of Israel. It's called Judges because there was no king, and the judges would rule over or guide and protect the people. And it was a really dark time in, in the life of Israel. It's a great book to read, by the way. It, it has all the great guy stories you want. You know, it's got war, murder, uh, intrigue, uh, betrayal. Everything you want is in there. Now you're all going, I want to read Judges. You know, um, but it's all there. But there was a guy named Gideon. Anybody ever heard of Gideon? Gideon? If you want to read about Gideon, it's Judges chapter 6 through 8. That's the kind of the whole story. But I'm just going to give you some little, we're just going to kind of dip our foot into that book a few times in chapter 6, and then I'm going to tell you the story. So it's living in a time when there's a group called the Midianites. And the Midianites were bad. Can you all boo? Boo, Midianites. Okay, and the Midianites were the true oppressors. They were coming in, and they, were, they would burn the fields after they took what they wanted. They would take the livestock, and Gideon, among others, would hide in caves and hills in the ground. And they were so afraid, and Gideon was anything but this courageous human being. Can you relate to that? You ever found yourself going like, I'd like to do something, but I don't know if I've got the courage, I don't know if I've got the strength, I don't know if I've got the knowledge, I don't know if I've got the opportunity, and you go through this whole list of why you can't do something. Well, that was Gideon. And so I want you to understand this, and here's the first truth I want to give you. Conflict will reveal your unrealized potential. You want to know what you really got? Get in conflict. Find yourself in a situation where everyone is against you and you'll find out what God created you to be. You see, your success is really measured by the number of people who oppose you and don't like you. Not by those who like you. See, we've become so counterculture to reality that we think people who like us on social media really like us. No, they might just feel sorry for you because you only got five likes. That's the reality, amen? 
All right, let me take you to the Judges. Judges chapter six and verse 12. The angel of the Lord appeared unto him. Now let me just give you a little theological framework here. The term, the angel of the Lord, with that definite article in front of it, that is a very unique term. Every time it's used, it's a reference to the manifestation or the revelation of the Son of God in the Old Testament. The term, the angel of the Lord, never appears after Jesus is born. After that, you'll always see an angel of the Lord, but not the angel of the Lord. So Gideon was being encountered by God. He had a God encounter in this moment. And the angel of the Lord appeared unto him and said to him, the Lord is with you, you mighty man of valor. Are you kidding me? He found him in a cave hiding. Can you imagine that? That's like walking up to somebody, you know, who's five foot one and weighs 80 pounds and said, you're a bodybuilder, aren't you? And you go, well, you know, I, I do got a little bit here, you know. And I'm sure Gideon would, would have responded like we think he would have responded, like, are you kidding me? Do you know who I am? I'm Gideon, the guy who's hiding. I'm not fighting. I'm not doing anything like this. And yet there was a mass of people. There were some 32,000 fighting men at his disposal, and all of them were hiding. You know why? Because they didn't have any leadership. You want to go somewhere, you got to have leadership, amen? And so he says, Almighty man of valor, you know, and, and what was he doing? The angel of the Lord saw something in Gideon that Gideon didn't see in Gideon. Do you know that God sees something in you that you don't see in you? Did you know inside of you is a mighty person of valor? Inside of you is a warrior. Inside of you is a victor. Inside of you is the hope of tomorrow. Inside of you is a generation that's going to proclaim righteousness in the land. Can you say amen? Amen. See, here's what I've come to learn. Dream killers are everywhere. They're not hard to find. You can find them on every corner. You can find them in every situation. They want to take your hope, and they want to crush it. They want to take your vision. They want to crush it. They want to take the future. They want to crush it because they've lived so much without one, that is a dream, without a vision, without a hope, that they are jealous of the fact that you have a dream about the future that you can look into your society and you can see a better society. You can look into your community, you see a better community. You look in the lives of your kids, you see a future, you see a hope that nobody else sees because you said, I'm not going to take and, and settle for what they're serving today. Amen? Amen? Put your hands together if you believe something. Keeps the blood moving, keeps you awake in case we have a dull moment here. Enemies, now let me tell you something, enemies indicate a new season of competence. Hey, we entered into a new season of competence, didn't we? We got new enemies all the time. I've been a part of this, uh, this group that's recalling uh, Governor Newsom. I'm thrilled, by the way. Uh, the number right now is at about 1.5 million. That means you only need certify about 1.85 uh, to really... that kind of covers a little extra on the, on the other side of it. And uh, why is that important? Because that's American. If the leadership is not carrying the ball, there's, there are ways to get things done. 
They're called election. They're called recall. They're called showing up at City Hall. They're call it, you know, they're calling influencing, getting involved, getting elected, all those things. We should do, be doing those. Why? Because we want a good place for us and our children's children. Amen? I, I don't know if you follow the Babylon Bee. It's kind of a, it's kind of a funny little makeup uh, stories, but I noticed the governor of uh, Texas came out and said that everyone moving from California into Texas would be under quarantine for 50 years. <laughs> that was pretty good. You know what great battles do? They prepare you for a great future. A great battle prepares you for a great future. You know, my dad was in the military 30 years, and was in seven major battles, was highly decorated, buried at Arlington National with full military honors, and he never talked about war. And I'd read books about it, and I'd tell him about it, and he'd say, oh, yeah, that's interesting. And, and one day I kind of drilled into him a little bit. I said, Dad, how come you never talk about it? He said, there's just nothing. I was just doing my, ju my job, just doing my duty. I was protecting my nation. I was fighting for liberty. I was fighting for freedom. Give me some details. No, it's not worth talking about. Let's talk about other stuff. You know, and when, you've, when you're in the battle or you've been through the battle, you look to the victory, not to what happened, not to the challenges, not to the difficulty. He said, you know, people go to boot camp and they think they're ready for war. All it does is get you in shape. You have to be in war to understand war. Can I tell you you're in war? You're in a battle. It's a spiritual battle. It's greater than any battle on planet Earth ever fought. Ron Carpenter said this, to get out from under the threat of the enemy, change what you are magnifying. What are you magnifying right now? Are you magnifying COVID? Quit magnifying it. Are you magnifying the closing of everything? Quit magnifying it. You're magnifying the, the threat, the health threat? Quit magnifying it. Magnify God. Walk in the power of the Spirit. Don't, don't roll over. Be strong. Second thing I want to tell you is a divine encounter is not optional. If you're going to move forward in this day, you have to have a divine encounter. Look what he says here. It's verse 12. See if it sounds familiar. The angel of the Lord appeared to him and said, the Lord is with you, O mighty man of valor. Well, wait a minute, didn't we just read that? Yeah, but now I want to focus back on the appearance. See, when God shows up in your life, you know he's shown up. It could be a still, small voice that just whispers in your heart and says, I've got, I've got this. Or it should be that little small voice that says, be encouraged and be strong. He could show up through the voice of your friend and said, you know, I think we're going to be okay. And you go, I think we are too. And something happens when you have a God encounter. When you, when you have a, a worship set and you're, you're standing there and you're singing and you're, you're, you, you, you know something is happening here. You're not sure what it is, especially if, you know, if you're not used to a worship set like that when you're going like, I think I feel God here. Is that God? What is that? And you have a God encounter. You see, God wants us to have encounter. It's called entering into his presence. 
That means I become aware. God's always present. The Bible says that he is present everywhere all the time. That's a big theological term called omnipresence, but but that's not the issue. The issue is, do I, am I aware? Am I encountering God? And what you want to do is be able to step into that encounter moment where you hear, see, and feel God uh, in any one of those capacities. Go like, I just feel like God is here. Okay, what's he saying? Always ask the right questions. What's God saying? What's God want me to do? How can I be a better human being? How can I drive this, this message forward for the kingdom of God? Who can I invite to church? Who can I invite to be a part? I mean, we have a great opportunity with link groups. You can, you can invite people. You can be a part of a group where you gather together and you encounter God and you read the word of God and you're fellowshipping with one another and there's power in that presence and after service, uh, I really encourage you, there'll be ways to sign up when you go outside in front, and, and, and you're going you're gonna to get an opportunity to be with people. Maybe it's weekly, maybe it's monthly, but, but you need to be in community. We need that kind of strength, amen? You see, here's what I know about God. God has more than one way to fulfill his plan in your life. You know what I've heard more than anything else if I look back over life is, man, I really missed that opportunity. Well, you think God's only got one? He just, God's a one-trick pony. He can only do one thing. He can always get your attention one way. He, no, 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 no. God is an amazing God. You see, and he is going to give you more than you could ever imagine. You see, your past does not disqualify you for God's best. People look back, well, you don't know what I've done. And then they'll tell me, and I go, you're an amateur. See that guy over there? He's an expert. I'm not pointing anyone, by the way. So don't get nervous. I saw two guys duck. <laughs> Sorry, Ted. I, I wasn't supposed to reveal all that about you, but I love you anyway. No, no, no. We, we, and the, the enemy, what does he do? He builds that up in our heart to where we think, oh, my gosh, well, how could God love me? I don't even love me. How could God use me? I wouldn't use me. You see, God qualifies the disqualified. God empowers those who are disempowered. God works through those who aren't even working. If you just say, I want to be available, God, I want to step into it, I want to do something, I don't even know what to do, God, if you'll just kind of start working and I'll start heading in a direction, God, if I head in that direction, will you support me? Yeah, God says, I'm in. You take the first step and I'll take all the rest for you. See, the thing is that your past does not define you. It actually prepares you. I don't know about you, but if you've ever touched a hot stove, you learn something. Amen? I don't want to do that again. Your failures actually prepare you for a better future. You've got something you can relate to. Now, if you've never sinned and you've never, you know, done anything wrong, and, you know, then you're really deceived. Um, I, used, I had this sermon one time, and I said, uh, how many of you, you know, graduated with honors in your high school or college and have them stand up? I don't do this anymore, by the way. You'll see why in a minute. You know, how many of you were, you know, lettered in football? How many of you got a scholarship and stand up? And, and uh, I went through the, how many of you were in a beauty pot, you know, contest? And, you know, you at least got in the game and maybe even won and have them stand up. And by the time you get done, you only got about a third of the people left. And then I said, now everybody's standing up. God can even use you. 
Amen? You know what I love about, about the, the community of faith? It is a place where everybody is qualified and everybody can succeed. And your past is your past, and God washes away all that stuff. And he doesn't want you to carry the guilt. He doesn't want you to carry all that junk. You don't need to carry it anymore. The Bible says he takes our sins and he pushes them as far as the east is from the west. Amos says he puts, our, he puts our sins in the bottom of the ocean, and then Billy Graham added, and he put a no fishing sign over the top of it. You see, God says every day is a new day. What are you going to do with today? Well, I, I'm worried about tomorrow. He said, don't worry about tomorrow. Tomorrow will take care of itself. What are you going to about today? Pick up your cross daily, follow me. I'll show you what I can do with someone who's just committed, sold out, and wants to be a follower of Jesus Christ. Amen? Well, Jeremiah 33.3 is a, is a great scripture. Many of you know this. He says, call to me and I will answer you and show you great and mighty things. Now, the interesting thing about that word mighty there, it doesn't mean powerful in the sense of like strong. What it really means is mysterious, inaccessible things. God says, when you call, I'm gonna give you a revelation of things that most people will never see and understand. They're gonna be mysterious. You're gonna go, wow, how did I know that? How did I come to understand that? How's that gonna work in my life? It's gonna be inaccessible. You don't get it just by reading scripture. You get it by revelation. You see, Christianity is revelatory. What that means is that I'm not, I don't just take the word of God and read it, memorize it, and then give it back. What it means is that I take the word of God, God applies it to me, and he reveals to me things that I didn't know apart from his revelation. Because you have the Holy Spirit living in you, and what he wants to do in there is a couple of things. He wants to do a little remodeling. Amen? Now, my wife is an expert in moving furniture until I get home. Then she can't move anything. I don't know what happens. One time we had a roll-top desk, and it took like three men to move it, and I came home, and it was on the other side of the room. Now, I don't know where this weaker sex thing came from, because they're not, amen? I mean, I don't know wh who these people are when we're not around, but they are amazing women, amen? All right, put your hands together, women. You're, you're pretty amazing. So I come home, and the desk is on the other side of the room. I said, oh, who'd you get to help you? She said, oh, I just did it myself. I said, how'd you do that? She said, I just nudged it an inch at a time. I'm thinking, you know what, who are you? Like, is this Superwoman? What is, what is Wonder Woman? Who's going on here? I come home. Can you get that chair? I said, well, yeah. Yeah, it's kind of heavy. <laughs> this is why men get in trouble. We do not understand what's happening in the lives and minds of these women. I do premarital counseling a lot, and, and I'll tell people, I said, look, nothing I'm going to tell you is ever going to prepare you for the real game here. You're going to be like eight seconds in the hot seat, and you're going to not even know why you got in trouble. All you know is when you ask, well, if you don't know, I'm not going to tell you. I mean, what do I do with that? Gentlemen, don't raise your hand. <laughs> the wisdom of the world. The wisdom of the world would dictate caution in your life. But God is not a cautious God. You can't find God you know, I'm a little afraid today. You can't find him kind of directing his people, play it safe. He says, yeah, come on, walk on the water, Peter. 
Why not give it a shot? Hey, you see that mountain? Why don't you speak to the mountain? It'll move into the midst of the ocean. That's God. That's God. You see, and God is not a cautious God. He is a warrior and the captain of the army of heaven. And when God gets ready to turn things upside down, God turns things upside down. When God gets ready to confront evil, he confronts evil. When God gets ready to use you, he uses you. One of my favorite authors is a guy named Paul Bilheimer, and uh, he wrote uh, a book, Destined for the Throne. I think it's one of the greatest books ever written. It's a short book, which is always encouraging. But he said, legally, Calvary, meaning where he died on the cross, was Satan's complete undoing. Legally, the cross completely destroyed Satan. All of his claims were canceled, but like any other legal transaction, Calvary's legal victory must be enforced. You know what that means? You call it out. You call him out. He has no power over you. Jesus said, all power and authority has been given unto me, Jesus. And I send you out with that power and that authority. The only time he has power and authority over you is when you give him that in your life. Do not. Shut the door. Do not let him in. There are three kinds of people in the world I've discovered, and, and this to me is, is uh, one of the most brilliant things that will ever help you in life. There are people in your life who are for what you're for. They're for what you're for. If you're for this one thing, then they're for you. Then there are people who are against what you're against. Say, well, I don't like that guy. And they, oh, I'm, I'm, I'm with you then. Because you don't like that stuff, but if you change your view, they leave. And the real danger comes when you confuse the people that are for you or against you with the third group, which are the people who are for you. See, there are some people who are for you, and if you change a little bit, they're still for you because they love you. And when you mix up the people that are for you with the people who are for what you're for, then you get confused. You go, I don't know where they went. What's the problem here? And in the Bible, it says that there were those who were among us who have departed from us, for had they been of us, they would have remained with us, but it came evident that they were not with us because they departed from us. You follow that? The idea is, what's the real test and the proof that you know God, you walk with God, it is perseverance. That there's something inside of you, the Spirit of God has brought something inside of you that is so compelling and so powerful that you will not bow, you will not bend, you will not break in the midst of the conflicts of life, and you will call on the name of the Lord and you'll say, God, you have to be my supply right now. And I will trust in the Lord with all my heart, all my mind, all my soul, and all of my strength. Can you say amen to that, amen to that? You know, God is a good God, amen? Good God. It's, a, it's been such a, a great, uh, exciting season for us as a church. I had, uh, we had Sean Foyt here a couple of weeks ago. I guess it's been a, two weeks ago now, or 10 days ago, whatever it was. And there were two guys that were there who uh, are part of a Jewish TV. And I said, what are you guys doing here? This is such a phenomena what Sean Foyt's doing, it just, it's a phenomenon. We just, we just wanted to follow it and film it and be a part of it, and we're gonna put it on Jewish TV. I said, do you have a lot of Jews watching this TV show? 
50 million is his audience. And uh, he texted me this morning, because he, he, when we were here, we connected, and he said, I want, you to, I want to bring you on the show. I love what you're doing. Talked about American faith, and he texted me this morning. He said, can we talk this week? And so Larry was up here leading worship, and I just filmed it. I thought, well, we'll just shoot him with both barrels. Let's see what happens here. And I said, hey, this is live right now. He said, I love it. Let's talk. I really believe the opportunities that we're experiencing today as people and as a church and the favor we've had is because we've been willing to stand when everyone else wouldn't. And I believe, I really, really do believe that if you will stand, just stand in wherever you are in your life. Be kind, but stand. That God is going to honor that in your life. That you're going to see some really great things come forth. It all begins with that decision you made to follow Jesus Christ. If you've indeed made that decision to say, I want Jesus to be the Lord of my life, I want you to know that he took you at your word. When you called on him and you said, I want to be a follower, I want to be saved, I want to be in the kingdom, I want to be born again, whatever term you want to use, it's all the same thing. He said, okay, I hear your heart. I see the sincerity of your faith. And what does he do? He brings you in. He adopts you into the family of God. You become one of his kids. Isn't that cool? And it's not for just that day. It's for eternity. And that's what it means to be born again, that we put our faith in the, in the shed blood of Jesus, that Jesus died on the cross for your sins and mine, that he rose from the dead in, in obedience to the Father and in, in accordance to the Scriptures. And he now ever lives to make intercession for you and I. That is, he's always speaking to the Father on our behalf. And that's what it means to come to the kingdom. If you've never come into the kingdom, can I invite you right now to come into the kingdom? Just pray a prayer like this with me. Right where you sit, stand, whether you're watching online or you're outside, pray this prayer. Dear Lord Jesus, I believe you died on the cross. This is the confession of our faith. I believe you were buried and rose from the dead. I believe you're coming again in glory. And I trust you with my heart, my soul, my mind, with everything. Save me, Lord Jesus, right now. Is that your prayer? If that was your prayer, then God saved you. Now walk with him faithfully. 